The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. As we prepare to get into the Word, uh, I want to encourage you, if you have some note-taking materials, anything like that, uh, jot down a few things. There's some uh, things we can look forward to as we get into the Word. There are things that may stand out to you. I would encourage you to to write those things down. I mean, we come together, and I I think we all have uh, better things to do than to just be here to hear some generic message. I, I think why we are here is because we have an expectation for God to continue to do great things in our lives. And, and that's really what I want to encourage. If something stands out to you, I'd encourage you to jot it down and, and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to minister those things uh, to you. I believe that we're here together hearing one message as a congregation. I also believe that we're here as a group of individuals that God is ministering to by a spirit uh, in each and every one of our lives. So as we, uh, as we move through the word here, I want to encourage you to take a few notes if you have the ability to. Uh, here's a few things we're going to find, things to help stay encouraged uh, as we move through the word, things to look for. Uh, one, what God wants. What God wants. There are things in the scripture. It's not one thing. I mean, there's many things, but we're going to look at a thing that God wants, and I think it's a really wonderful thing to understand what God is bringing into our lives or what he wants to bring into our lives. It, it helps us to understand who he is and how our fellowship with him uh, is meant to be celebrated and received. Uh, another thing we're going to find is what Jesus gives us. Jesus gives you something. When you become a Christian, Jesus gives you something, and it's a really wonderful and powerful thing to know about. Uh, you could not know about it and, and still enjoy it, but it would be by accident. I think it's important to know about it and enjoy it on purpose. So we're going to find out what it is that Jesus gives us when we become Christians. A third thing that you're going to find is what makes things work out. Now, I put that in quotes, okay? Uh, that's kind of a, a, a phrase, you know, work out. I use that word a lot, and I don't mean like lifting weights because I don't do that, right? I mean like work out as in like uh, something will come to pass. So most of the time, uh, you'll hear me end a, a conversation about a situation or a circumstance using the words like, it'll work out, you know. Uh, my wife chuckled because she probably hates hearing that, right? She's more interested in how is it going to work out, and, and I'm more like, we can move on because it'll work out, right? But there is some things, or there are some things, excuse me, in the scripture that confirm that it will work out. I mean, things that we deal with, things that we face, God has a plan and he's at work. And honestly, I think it's a very godly thing to say it'll work out. In fact, had I penned the book of Revelation, the last words will be, it'll work out. (laughs) Yeah. The Apostle Preston, you know, his rewrite, uh, his reboot of the book of Revelation, it'll work out. Uh, We're going to get into the Word here. I'm excited to do that. If you have your Bibles, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30. I mentioned before we're going to find out what God wants. We're going to find that here in Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30, I want to begin uh, in verse 18. We're going to see things that God desires to bring into your life, things that God wants for you. It's an important thing to consider that as we read the Scripture, that it's very intentional. It's not generic. It's not just something that God wants for mankind, 
It's something that God wants for you. You can insert your name next to this, knowing that God desires to bring this into your life specifically. Isaiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. I'm going to ask to who? To you. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. I want you to consider the word long there. We don't really use that. I I don't go home after a hard day of working and, and say, man, I long for a sandwich, right? That would just sound a little bit odd. But the word long there is to indicate a, a, a deep desire. It's more than just saying want. It's, it's less casual. It's more formal. And it indicates a, a depth to that desire that would transcend the norm or the standard. I mean, to long for something is to want and to want with an intensity. So when we look at this passage of Scripture as it opens here, and we're just now scratching the surface, we see what God greatly desires to bring into your life. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. And when you consider what it means for God to be gracious to you, it opens up the door for all kinds of wonderful and magnificent things. I mean, some of those wonderful and magnificent things may be enjoyable and pleasant. Some may be less desirable in the moment but have great results down the road, right? I mean, some of the best things in my life weren't enjoyable in the moment, but later on I can look back and say, wow, God really did something great in that season or in that time. But God longs to be gracious to you. I want you to just stop and think. I mean, we're, we're, we're barely getting started, but this is very important that we lay a good foundation. Think about how many things that bother you, that worry you, that concern, concern, concern you and you, or that may uh, incite fear in you, that would simply dissolve at the understanding that God longs to be gracious to you. No matter what happens, the world could break in two, people could lose their minds, and we're dangerously close to that right now, I think, but the world could completely fall apart, and God longs to be gracious to you. It's a wonderful thing. It's, it's more than medicinal. It's healing to the mind to receive, to understand, and to embrace the truth that God desires to bring his grace into my life. And it continues to other great things. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you and waits on high to have compassion on you. Now, we can read that, and depending on our circumstances or our situation, we can think, hey, you don't have to wait. <laughs> Just bring it right now. But that concept of waiting isn't to, in, 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 uh, to incite delay or, or to communicate, excuse me, delay of any kind. It means that there is a longing, that there is this desire. It means that he is watching for opportunity to bring his compassion into your life. I mean, what a great thing to have this awareness of who God is, how he feels about you, how your relationship is structured and set up. Not the idea that God is watching over you, looking to get you if you step out of line, but the idea that God is constantly watching over you, desiring greatly to bring grace and compassion into every situation and circumstance that you face. It goes on to say, for God is a God of justice, and blessed are those who desire him. The scripture continues in verse 19, saying, weep no more. God will surely be gracious. He will hear the sound of your cry and he will answer you. 
Now that in and of itself is a powerful promise. The idea that God cares about you, desires to bring his grace and compassion to your life are wonderful truths to, to let be foundational in all of your thinking, to let be filters for all of the situations and circumstances that you deal with and face. But then consider the fact that he's paying attention, that he's listening to you. I mean, it, it has been devastating in any relationship that I've ever been a part of, whether it's my marriage or whether it's my son's, when somebody feels like they're not being heard. That has been kind of the crisis point in any conflict or argument or dispute that I've faced or dealt with when an individual reveals that they believe they don't have a voice. So how freeing is it, how liberating is it, how empowering is it to consider that in your relationship with God, you have a voice? Not only do you have a voice, but you have a voice that's being listened to. That God is on high, hearing your cry. And then this wonderful promise, it just keeps getting better and better and better. He wants to be gracious to you. He waits to have compassion on you. He hears your voice. And then you have this promise to seal it all. And he will answer you. What a wonderful thing. Not might answer you, not could answer you, not sometimes answers you, but it is absolute. He will answer you. That's a solid promise. That's one that ought to bring courage and strength into any situation. The truth, the reality that God will answer when he hears your cry. Now the scripture goes on to say that your teacher will no longer be hidden, but rather your teacher will be seen and that your ears will hear a voice from behind when you're faced with decisions saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to the left. Now, it's an interesting thing when you take all of this. I mean, you can break it down and make it real choppy, which I think I have successfully done. And then you can make it concise and keep it simple. And that's what I'd like to do now is simply sum it up. That you're seeing that your relationship with God is one in which God desires to be gracious to you that he's looking for ways to be compassionate, that he's listening to your cry and that he will answer. Now you're seeing what his answer is. His answer is to teach. He wants to make our life better. He wants to put knowledge and understanding into our life so that when we face things a second time, we'll know what to do. We'll know how to do it. God identifies himself here as our teacher. And that teacher brings a voice, a voice of direction, a voice of leadership, where there's confusion or there's chaos or there's just the absence of the awareness of what to do. And I've got news for you. I deal with that a lot. I mean, one of the most common prayers I pray is, is Father, show me what to do. <laughs> show me what to do with this person or this situation or, or this thing that's going on over here. Show me what to do. Show me what to do has, has got a lot of lines that can be read between. You can read between the lines there and realize that means I don't know what to do. Or it means I have too many options and I don't know which one to select. It could mean any number of things, but the bottom line is, is it is the pursuit of what God desires in that situation. Father, be my teacher. Let your grace and your compassion be revealed to me. Hear that I'm asking you for counsel. I need direction. And let your answer be educational to me in this situation. Be the voice that you promise to be, the voice of direction, to turn this way or that way. 
I'm at a crossroads and I need your help. Now this is written in in the book of Isaiah that God is promising to be our teacher. Jesus talks about our teacher as he speaks to his disciples in the the New Testament as we continue to study. You can find a a number of, of places where Jesus refers to the promised Holy Spirit as our teacher, one who will be present to lead and to guide, to be the voice of guidance, to turn this direction or that direction. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 14, verse 26, refers to the Holy Spirit as a helper, one who's going to help in situations, one who's going to bring assistance into circumstances In verse 26, it reads like this, The Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things, and He will bring to your memory all that I have told you. You know, I remember reading that passage of Scripture when I became a believer, when I became a Christian. And I just had this really wonderful and wild conviction I mean, wonderful and wild in that I don't think that it's a doctrine, so to speak, but conviction because I do believe that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. I was on a mission when I read this passage of Scripture to read the Bible cover to cover because I wanted to be able to remember what Jesus had spoke. And how can I remember what I've never remembered in the first place? I wanted to put it inside of me, trusting and knowing that it's not my job to be a scholar. It's simply my job to expose myself to the Word of God so that in the right time, the Spirit of God can stir and bring to my memory the words that God has spoken in the past. He's my helper. He's bringing guidance and direction. He's leading and guiding. And His voice is present to respond to my cry, bringing the grace and the compassion that God promises. So now then the question is this, what is this teacher teaching us? I I want to offer this passage of scripture to you as a fulfillment of a promise, so to speak. One of the the promised things we would find in the scripture is what Jesus gives us, okay? That was the second one that we were going to find, what Jesus gives us. We're going to find that here in this passage of scripture. If you have your Bibles, we're looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I want to look at verses 12 and 13. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Now this passage of scripture is referring to to Christians, to believers. It opens up with this, as many as received him, him with a capital H, referring to Jesus, as many as received Jesus. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even those that have believed in his name, those that were not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. As many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And it's an interesting thing to consider, that I became a Christian, I I received Jesus, I, I celebrate and embrace and acknowledge the wonderful, powerful gift of God, the manifestation of his love to send Jesus to take my place upon the cross. The big Bible word is propitiation. It means I deserved that, but he took it for me. And when I became a Christian, then Jesus gave me this. He gave me the right 
to become a child of God. Now, this was recorded in, in the Greek language. So there's a word here, a Greek word, that I want to talk about real quick, exousia. Exousia. It's kind of fun to say, right? Exousia. It sounds like maybe you've got an accent and you bumped into someone. Ah, oh, exousia, right? Exousia. Now, here's what this word means. I mean, in, in the scripture that I have recorded here from my notes, which was pulled from a New American Standard, it's right. He gave us the right. I mean, we're Americans, so there are, are a large number of us that understand rights, you know, and, and that's a really big thing. And when uh, rights are celebrated, uh, they're celebrated with enthusiasm. When rights are violated, it, it's a, a really uh, different story. We understand rights and what they mean and how valuable they are. It's the reason why we would celebrate them and the reason why we would become extremely frustrated when they're violated. This is a powerful thing that Jesus is giving us. As many as received him, he gave them the right, the right to what? Based on the scripture, the right to be sons of God or children of God. Exousia, I want to give you the, the definition of this word because I don't think that right really just does it justice. It helps us to look at the full definition to understand what's being communicated here. Uh, if you turn to the concordance, which is really a Bible dictionary, you're, you're going to get a few words here uh, that, that will help us understand what this word means. The power of choice. The power of choice. What a wonderful thing to have the power of choice. I mean, you've got divisions even today, like in our country, some people talking about the power of choice and what is choice, what isn't choice, what should be choice, what shouldn't be choice. This is something that's a really big deal. The power or authority to choose. The power for judicial decision or the authority to manage one's affairs. Pretty interesting list of definitions here. I mean, one of the common threads there throughout all of those words was the word power, right? I mean, that this is a powerful thing. Another word which is similar to power was authority. I mean, we can substitute that word. I mean, if someone is in a position of power, you would also be able to say that person is in a position of authority, you know? I mean, so I think those things substitute uh, very easily. And then it closes with that, you know, management of one's own affairs, domestic affairs. Uh, when I read this passage of scripture with that understanding, what I see is that when I became a Christian, or as many as received him, Jesus gave the power to manage their affairs. Jesus gave me the power and the authority to make the choices and decisions that I need to make in my life. Pretty awesome, power, uh, powerful, and, and revealing passage of scripture. That when I became a Christian, Jesus gave me something. He gave me that that power to make judicial authority, that power to make decision or choice, that power to manage my life. He gave me that power by giving me his spirit to make choice, to make decision, to have the voice of God through the conviction of the Holy Ghost lead and guide to turn this way or that way when faced with choice or decision. And now that makes perfect sense to me personally, and I don't know if this translates very well, but I'm going to share it anyway because it sure might. And even if it doesn't, it might encourage. I wanted to make choices and decisions in my life a certain direction before I was a Christian and greatly struggled because of addictions, because of bondage, because of a number of things that held me in the place where I was at. 
And it was when I became a Christian that I had the power and the authority to make those choices and decisions and those choices and decisions be effective. I mean, I see that very plainly and clearly in my life and in my testimony. And when I see it in the scripture, I think, wow, what a great thing to emphasize. What a wonderful thing to impart. What a great thing to, to teach and a, a wonderful thing to pass to our children. The, the truth that God has given you authority to make choices and decisions that are pleasing to him. That at no point in the believer's life are we subject to outside influences, but we transcend all outside influences, all outside voices, whether they're relational, political, financial, no matter what they are, we have the ability by the power of the present Holy Spirit in and through our lives to choose what's pleasing to God. It's the reason why men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could stand when all of the other culture bowed down. It's the reason why men like Abraham could do great and, and magnificent things when, when all the rest of the culture would, would move in a different direction, he would move in the opposite. It's the reason why God could call a man like Noah to do something that had never been done before and he could respond in faithfulness because the power of the present Holy Spirit in and through your life to choose will transcend those things that are going on around you. And there's something that needs to be understood to exercise this right, and I want to offer that to you because I think it's important that we understand this. The passage of Scripture that we spoke of out of John revealed that as many as received him, Jesus gives the right to be children of God. We get, in, we get hung up to emphasize that word exousia and talk about right and what it means, the power to choose and to manage. But consider why that right's being given. As many as receive him, he gives them the right to be children of God. That's what I want to examine for a moment. What does that mean to be a child of God so that I know how to exercise this right? What does it mean to be God's son what does it look like? What does it sound like? How does it behave? So that I know that I'm exercising the right that Jesus gives me in the correct direction. Well, I'll give you a passage of scripture that sums up what it looks like in one verse. Romans 8.14. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For me to exercise my God-given right, the right that Jesus gives me to be a child of God, is for me to make my choices and decisions based on the leading and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. To be led by God's Spirit is to function as a child of God. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here from the Gospel of John, John 10, 22 through 30. I want to read through it very quickly. Now, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking at a certain time, at a feast in Jerusalem. And when many are gathered around him, they're asking him, you know, hey, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one, the Savior, the promised one? Don't keep us in suspense, but speak to us. And in verse 25, Jesus answers them, and he says, I, I told you, and yet you do not believe. Believe the works that I do in the Father's name. These testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. That's kind of a weird way to answer, right? You don't believe because you're not my sheep. He doesn't say you don't believe because you only believe in science, or you don't believe because you belong to this social group over here, or you don't believe because fill in the blank. 
But he answers something in a very specific way. Remember, Jesus never speaks casually. He says, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. Uh, Listen to what he says after this. He says, my sheep, they hear my voice. That's that voice that says which way to go. And I know them and they follow me. He goes on to speak of the promises that come with that. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. These are wonderful promises from Jesus to you. And my Father who has given them to me is greater than I. And no one is able to take them from his hand. This is when he goes on to say, I and the Father are one in the same. He answers their question plainly in the end. But I think it's interesting that he speaks about believing in him and compares that to being one of his sheep. Him being the good shepherd, us being the flock of God. That word believe there is an important word to emphasize. I mean, it literally means to put trust in. In fact, if you were to sneak away with my Bible and thumb through the pages and kind of look through some notes and things that are written in there, you would probably find a number of places where the word believe is scratched out and the words put trust in are written above it. Now, that's just for me personally because I think the word believe can get a little watered down. I mean, like, you know, you can believe in Santa Claus, right? But, but that's kind of odd and weird. I mean, you can believe in all kinds of things. But to put trust in requires there to be a surrender. It requires there to be a belief that there will be a, a response, a, a present activity. It's an a, a, a outward action that is in pursuit of a result in one way, shape, or form. Putting your trust in Jesus is becoming of the flock of God, being one of his sheep. And there's that promise that comes with that, that eternal life and all of those wonderful things, that protection that none can snatch out of his hand. And those are the things that are meant to be a, a motivation for this wonderful effort that we would produce. But the effort itself, the putting the trust in, is the call that has been placed on us. Putting the trust in the voice of the Holy Spirit, putting trust in the direction, in the counsel of the scripture, the written word, the spoken word, putting trust that God will do what he says he will do, and that's provide direction, that his grace will come, that his compassion will come, that there's no need to take matters into one's own hands or to compromise, but that God will provide a way. And when we look through these things about becoming children of God, exercising our right to be children of God, I want to offer you a few things that you can uh, apply to your life for the purpose of examining, am I exercising my right as a child of God? Am I exercising my right as a child of God? If I'm exercising my right as a child of God, one or more of these things will be the result. Now, this isn't an absolute list, but it's a list nonetheless. So here's one for you, 1 John 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God are obvious. They practice righteousness. Pretty amazing scripture. I mean, I can understand and know that I am exercising my right, that I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit, that I'm walking in my God-given right to be a child of God when the result is practicing righteousness. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Once again, I'll know that I am responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit, following his voice to turn this way or that way when faced with conflict, when the result is peace. 
exercising my right to be a child of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 44 and 45. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I know that I am following the Holy Ghost, exercising my right to be a child of God when I'm faced with my enemies and I choose to pray for them. Now, we've acknowledged this in the past and it's worth acknowledging again Praying about your enemies is different than praying for your enemies, right? Praying about your enemies sounds like this. God, those guys are jerks. They need to be taught a lesson. And I'm trusting and believing wholeheartedly that you in all of your might, all of your wonder, all of your splendor will burn those jerks down. (laughs) Amen? Okay, you've prayed that prayer. That's praying about your enemies. Now, praying for your enemies sounds... Yeah, that's right, I understand. Praying for your enemies sounds more like this. Father, they need you. They need to have the truth revealed to them. They, they need your grace. They need your compassion. And I surrender my life. Let it flow through me. There you go. Bless them real good with a little fire. There you go, Rodney. There's a huge difference between praying for your enemies and praying about your enemies. And here, when we find that we are faced with a situation where there is enmity present, we can choose to exercise our right, our God-given right to be children of God by praying for our enemies. I'll give you another one here as we, we move forward. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or complaining... So that, will you just say so that? Yeah, okay, so here's the so that. So that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God. Above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And God knows that this is a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you will appear as light in the world. Now we're surrounded by all kinds of crookedness and all kinds of perversity. And we have the ability to stand out as light by exercising our God-given right to be led by the Holy Spirit, proved to be the children of God, in this case, by not grumbling or complaining. Can I get a uh-oh? Uh-oh. Yeah, I got to check it at the door right here because I can tell you grumbling and complaining is easy to do. But I'm called to rise above that, to be led by the Holy Spirit. You want to know why I think this is a thing? I'll tell you why I think this is a thing, and I'll do it really quick because I know that it's late. In every complaint, there's a hint of accusation. And I want you to think about the two ministries that are going on. You have the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is the ministry of intercession, and then you have the work of Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren. That's really why grumbling and complaining has no place in the mouth of the believer, because we're not meant to participate in the work of Satan through accusation. We're meant to participate in the work of Jesus Christ through intercession. I'll give you a, a couple more here and we're going to close. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not. Now I don't say knoweth very much, but that's the translation we pulled from because it does not know him. When I am operating in my right, when I'm choosing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, this can be confirmed by the world's rejection of me. 
if the world hates my guts, it just might mean I'm doing something right, is basically what that means. Because the world rejects him. I'll give you one more here, and, and, and we'll move to close. Galatians 3.26. You're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I can measure my response in a situation or a circumstance that I may be dealing with. I can identify if I'm walking in my right to be a child of God by identifying that I am walking in faith in Jesus. I am trusting in Jesus. I want to give you a passage of scripture here as we we close and we'll be done with this. I mentioned to you before we're going to find what makes things work out. It'll work out. I'll give you this passage of scripture, but remember earlier when I said that there are places in the Bible where I mark out the word believe and write in, put trust in. I'm going to do that one on this one. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Put your trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge his and he will make your paths straight. He will make your path straight. If you look that up in the Hebrew, it also translates, it'll work out. It'll work out. Put your trust in him. Acknowledge his ways over yours, and he'll work it out. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us. I want to trust and believe God to do a work in our hearts and in our minds that we would put our trust in him and that we who have received Jesus as our king would intentionally and not simply accidentally exercise our right to be children of God, to know that we always have a choice. We always have a decision. We are never in a position where we cannot choose to do what God wants for us, but that he's given us that right as he's given us Jesus. There where you stand, I want to pray this morning. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your promised direction and counsel. And we ask in the name of Jesus, will you allow our ears to be opened to hear your counsel clearly? Let there be no distraction. Let there be no hindrance to your voice, your counsel, your help, your teaching from entering into our life to show us the way we should go. And let us embrace the right that you have blessed us with through Jesus to make the choices and the decisions in and through our life that bring you honor and glory. Let all the voices that exist in this world, all of those empty and vain voices that would lead us astray, let them all be drowned out by the still small voice of the Holy Spirit to tell us which way to go when faced with choice and decision. And let every choice and decision to be your son, to be your daughter, to be your child, representing your household, your name, and your kingdom through our choices and decisions. Let them all bring you honor and glory. And let the promised results of life and celebration be embraced by everyone as we walk in our identity as your children. 
as we embrace and receive your counsel as our teacher, our helper, our wonderful, loving Father. We surrender our hearts and our minds to you to receive your direction. We surrender our ears to receive your counsel. And we surrender our lives to carry out your will to bring you honor and glory. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.